welcome to Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly, and a happy new year to everyone from all of us at Ski Utah. A special thanks to Utah's own Pixie and the Party Grass Boys for kicking things off once again. Keep your eyes out for some new music coming out soon from Ski Utah's favorite band, that's Pixie and the Party Grass Boys. A very special welcome back again to our sponsor, High West, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. High West is passionate about crafting delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey all in the context of our home right here in the American West. When you're in Utah, visit one of High West's locations in Park City and nearby Wanship. This week, we welcome a new episode sponsor, Hestra Gloves. For over 85 years, Hestra has been producing the highest quality, warmest gloves that you can own. Check out Hestra Gloves at hestragloves.com. Today, we're going to talk avalanche safety with a truly remarkable human, my good friend Craig Gordon of the Utah Avalanche Center. In late December here in Utah, we recognized the 20th anniversary of one of the biggest storms and the most tragic avalanches ever in our state. The day after Christmas in 2003, three young men lost their lives near Aspen Grove in the runout of towering Mount Timpanogos. Completely unbeknownst to them, some 4,000 feet above, an entire mountain of snow gave way and buried them down below. At the time, there was very little knowledge out there if you weren't a backcountry enthusiast. No one really gave much thought to a mountain of snow that they couldn't even see in the clouds above them. It was an emotional time for avalanche safety pros like Craig Gordon. This was an accident that simply didn't need to happen. So Craig decided to do something about it. Born out of that tragedy was the Know Before You Go educational program, which is now a staple of snow safety education nationally and even worldwide. It was the brainchild of Craig Gordon and executed by the Utah Avalanche Center. And 20 years later, it is still an amazing educational program. And while Craig's heart still aches for the families of those snow sport enthusiasts who lost their lives, he also knows how many lives that know before you go has saved in those two decades. When you're finished listening to this episode of Last Chair, please go to kbyg.org. That's kbyg.org to learn more about the Know Before You Go program and take the time right now to understand some of the basics. And whether you're a backcountry skier or you just like to go inbounds, it's important information for you to know. Now let's have some fun with Craig Gordon of the Utah Avalanche Center on Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. Craig Gordon, thank you for joining us on Last Chair. It's really something to get you off the snow. Well, it is indeed, Tom. It is my absolute honor to be here joining you. And, you know, you, you asked me how many ski days I get in a year. I just count the days I miss. So I took today off so I could be with you so we could be grounded so that we could uh, have a nice little chat together. You know, last year about this time, I went with your colleague, Drew Hardesty. We went up guardsman from the big cottonwood side and we did our podcast in a nice snow pit uh, that uh, oh, all right. the Drew dug. We're a little more civilized. We're down here at Kiln and Gateway in the recording studio today. So I, I appreciate you coming in. Uh, but seriously, you you are on snow like almost every day. Like every day. Yeah. So this is like a, you know, sort of a, a gentleman's podcast. I love it. This facility is amazing. 
studio has got just this nice, soft feel to it. So thanks for having me. It's an absolute honor. Well, it is really great to have you. Let's let's talk a little bit about year-to-date, a little bit lighter snowfall than last year. But, but year-to-date, light snowfall, but actually the resort skiing is really good. But in a year like this, what are the things that you look for? What are the dangers you look for in the backcountry? Yeah, I think this year, as opposed to last year at this time, and you know, I, I'm I'm just I love history, and even though I can't balance my checkbook, I love the history of snow and the dates and the numbers, and I'm a geek for that kind of stuff. And I was looking back, kind of into my cerebral hard drive, at this time last year, and we're just coming out of this. Epic, epic New Year's storm. Avalanche warnings are in effect. It is snowing to beat the band. You know, we're several atmospheric rivers into just an amazing snow year. And most resorts are right at the century mark for mid-mountain snow depth. So it's unreal. And as I always say, you know, here in Utah, it ain't the snow. It's the water. And it's really the water that gives us that nice thick base. And then of course, you know, once the cold snow gets here, well, then that's when the party starts. But for our um, purposes, this year is a little bit different. We had that beautiful storm on uh, December 1st through 3rd, upper Little Conwood Canyon, parts of upper Big Conwood Canyon, five to six inches of water. And that equated to about 50 to 60 inches of snow. Park City side, a little bit leaner. Some of our other neighbors, you know, maybe half that amount. But, you know, Tom, what it boils down to is that we always get great snow here. It always turns on to winter. Winter always happens during winter in Utah. Right now, it's slightly low tide. And so what I think about, even though the Abbey Hazard might not um, be elevated or it might not be super sketchy right now, there are so many other hazards to think about stumps and logs and rocks and that kind of thing. And also in low tide years, low snow years, you got to think about your approaches and your exits. And so I try to put my ski tour together so that it's seamless, it's quick, it's easy. And if something goes sideways, I'm going to be able to get myself out of where I got myself into. And, you know, that's, that's a big part of the day is figuring out the in and and the out and then the fun in between. You know, I imagine that a lot of people, when they're doing their plan, the last thing they think about is what my exit will be. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you, my day that starts at 2 in the morning and sometimes ends at like 6, 7, 8 at night, I've got a lot in between. And whether it's my own personal life or appointments, like, you know, meeting uh, folks like you and chatting or other media types of events, I can't be late to stuff, you know? And I also have got that responsibility not only to myself, but also to my community and my family. We're going to talk about Utah Avalanche Center here in a minute, but let's go back to last year again with that epic snowfall. It actually, while there were some fatalities, both skiing, snowboard, and or and snowmobile, yeah. it was Actually, all things considered, it was a relatively safer year than we've seen. Sure. And it's counterintuitive because, I mean, more snow always equals more avalanches. But what we realize is that the avalanches that we're dealing with are mostly storm snow related. Now, the caveat to that, Tom, is that we had several dozen atmospheric rivers last year. And what that means is that it's this big fire hose of moisture And once that thing turns on, you know, weather is a lot like people. It likes the path of least resistance. 
So once that pattern was carved out, each successive storm that latched onto that, man, it was just this, just this train of storms, fire hose the state, and eventually one of those storms is going to reveal a weak layer or an inconsistency in one of those layers, and we're going to see avalanches. But it's much more predictable than a lean year where we go long periods of time without any snow. That snowpack gets weak and sugary, and then once the winter switch gets turned on, then avalanche conditions get really sketchy. So for me, for a forecaster, for a recreationist, and a user of the product— I always think the lean years, especially when it's cold and dry in between storms, those are the sketchiest. Well, let's go back to that term, atmospheric river. We yes. had Evan Thayer on a few weeks ago on last chair, and he talked a little bit about it. But I think for those of us civilians, let me call us, that was a new word for us or a new combination of words last year. I know as a forecaster, you've probably been using it for years, but what's an atmospheric river? Yes. Yeah, so it is this big stream of moisture that comes out of the Hawaiian Islands. And you know, it's it's got a, a, a lot of geographic features to get around. You know, it's got to kind of maneuver its way through and underneath the Sierra, and it's got to hold together, and it's you know, goes through all of this desert, and then it finally gets to Utah. But an atmospheric river, a single atmospheric river, has 18 times the available moisture as the Mississippi River. So, like, we'll try to wrap our brains around that. Now, math is not my strong suit, but it would seem to me like that is an awful lot of moisture to throw into the atmosphere. And once this thing gets turned on, the beauty of the flow last year was it collided with cold air. Now, oftentimes the atmospheric river can just be warm and moist, but last year it got uh, together with some cold air and kaboom. I mean, you felt it in Park City as those storms were creeping up Provo Canyon. They were slamming into that cold air in, in Park City. And truly, Deer Valley, Park City, the Wasatch back, everybody got invited to this party it's the first time in about 15 years or so that I can remember of having actual bottomless days inside the ski resort boundary. I mean, there was really no reason to even go touring when you could parlay all the hard work that the women and the men of the ski patrol get going long before we ever even get into the parking lot. It just really, I'm just thinking back right now. I do tend to think about the paths I shoveled between the barn and the house for our cat. Right. That's kind of my first memory. But beyond that, there was some amazing skiing and riding last year. So we have learned about the atmospheric river. Let's talk now about Utah Avalanche Center. You are part of a cadre of forecasters and and just gurus of the snow. And we all appreciate that. And I think as Utah skiers and riders, we probably take for granted a little bit this amazing service we have. But give us a little 411 on UAC and what it means to all of those who like to party in the backcountry. Yeah, yeah. Well, UAC, number one, I work with the most amazing cast of highly talented individuals. And being part of the UAC is not only a privilege, it is my absolute honor because not only do I work with amazing people, but I get to interact with my backcountry family. So the people that we forecast for, skiers, boarders, sledders, snowmobilers, 
hunters, hikers, extreme snow angelers, no matter what we're doing on the snow, this is not just our community. This is our backcountry family. And as such, I want to treat my backcountry family with the utmost respect. I want to give them the information that's critical that they can go out, enjoy the greatest snow on earth, have a blast, you know, high five at the trailhead or at the bottom of the lift or wherever they wind up at, at the end of the day, they're coming home safely to their family. So, you know, that's the overarching mantra and reach of the UAC. And, you know, we are into this for 40 plus years. And there are a lot of people before me that helped to, you know, really lay the groundwork for this, help many layers of pavement to get to where we are. And, you know, without the Pat Lambroses of the world and Bruce Trempers of the world and so many just remarkable individuals who committed themselves, devoted themselves to this community. Without them, we wouldn't be where we're at now. And indeed, we are the flagship avalanche center, not only of the country, but, you know, it's a global thing. And I am more than proud to be part of that. Well, a lot of us as skiers and riders, you know, we really look at UAC that way. We really look at you as being best of breed in everything you do. Mm -hmm. Can you run down the key areas of service, things like education and forecasting, and what are the different aspects or elements that UAC provides to the public? Sure. Well, you know, I think we're, we're best known for our forecasting and because we're your one-stop shop, utahavalanchecenter.org. But, you know, forecasting is just a segment of education. And to me, really, the, the forecasts are an educational tool. And anytime I have the opportunity to share knowledge and to throw an antidote or two and maybe some institutional knowledge and wisdom in along with the mix and maybe some tongue-in-cheek humor, yeah, now this is sort of where the rubber hits the road. So really, Tom, to me, it's all about education. And the more well-informed our user public is, the more they can get out of the Utah Avalanche Center forecast. And the forecast is, is really designed in sort of a tier approach, you know, from beginner to intermediate to novice to expert to, you know, uber expert. You can gain something out of reading the forecast day to day and reading it each day. You get to know the characters in the snowpack. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is is open up the, the middle of this book, this novel, you know, and try to figure out who the characters are. So I always advise people, even on the days that you're not planning on going out, uh, definitely take heed, check out the forecast, see what the snow is doing. And then when you do get a day off or you're making your travel plans, you'll be that much better informed. So really, to me, education. That is where the, the rubber hits the road for us. That's the big ticket item. And that is not only in our forecasts, that is in our outreach, in our classes, our backcountry 101s, our basic avalanche classes, our rescue classes. It all revolves around education. Let's talk about the mobile app. And one of the things that I really like about it is you can open up the mobile app, which anybody can get, just download it from the respective app store, and you can look at the Compass Rose. And sure, with just sure. to view the Compass Rose, you have a pretty good idea of what's going on. Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get the, you get the, the Rose, which is your 30,000-foot view. If you were looking down on a mountain, you would see all aspects. And when I say aspect, I mean 
the orientation and the compass. So a north aspect faces, you know, north, south is going to be in the sun, you have east, west, but then also in those layers of the rows, you're going to have elevation bands. And within those elevation bands and then the aspect, we'll color them in on a scale of one to five. So green, yellow, orange, red, and black, of course. So on a scale of one to five, that's going to correlate with what the danger is, low, moderate, considerable, high, or extreme. Now, when I take all of that into account, you know, the danger rating actually isn't a linear rating. And as we increase in danger, that danger unto itself expands exponentially. So we go from two to four, but then we don't add another two or four to that. It goes to 16 and to 32 and to 64. So as we climb up that scale, the danger actually expands exponentially. And the biggest piece of advice is to match that avalanche danger for the day and match the terrain with what the given danger is. There is always a place you can go ride and play and have a blast in the mountains, even during times of elevated avalanche danger. It's a matter of knowing the kinds of slopes you can ride safely, the slope angle, and then what kind of terrain you need to avoid. And of course, we take care of that one-click, one-stop, utahavalanchecenter.org. I like what you said about the scale is not linear. And let's talk about the moderate danger area. And I think a lot of people might look at that and say, well, it's kind of right in the middle. So I think I'm probably okay. Yeah. Uh, but it yeah, doesn't yeah. really work that way, does it? Right. So moderate, you know, on the scale of, of one to five is is the yellow. You know, it's the level two. And it's like, I think of, I think a yellow like with the traffic light, you know, now what, what, what you should be doing at a yellow traffic light is pumping the brakes and slowing down, not gunning on the gas, you know. And I'm also thinking with a moderate avalanche danger, what kind of avalanche dragon am I dealing with? Is it just a, a shallow wind drift that, you know, I can manage with my terrain or like we see in shallow snow years, is it something that has a low probability but a high consequence where I could put a dozen sets of tracks on the slope and I go to put my 13th track on the slope? I find a little weakness in the snowpack. I collapse the snowpack. Woomph, and now I'm staring down the barrel of a very scary avalanche. So I've got to know what kind of avalanche dragon I'm dealing with. And when we start to get into that category, and we know that we have what we call a persistent weak layer, that we've got strong snow above weak snow, then the best exit strategy is to totally avoid where that dragon lives. And there is always plenty of terrain to go out and ride and have a blast and totally avoid that kind of hazard. We're talking a lot about the educational tools that are available here today, but I want to go back in time 20 years ago, sure. uh, just in late December of this year. And uh, right day after Christmas in 2003, yes, big yes. tragedy near the Sundance Resort up in Aspen Grove. Tell us a little bit about that accident, and then we'll continue on from there to talk about what it spawned in terms of further education. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That, that time frame right around Christmas of 2003 is an epic storm by all standards, historic storm. 
roles bigger in, than last year. Oh yeah, it, unto itself, you know, a, a, a one shot deal. That, as a matter of fact, this the Christmas storm of 2003 has its own Wikipedia uh, reference, and, and the reason it does, Tom. Is that number one? We had early season snow in the mountains, and it's kind of you know teetering on on the edge. Anyway, the storm rolls in right before Christmas and just blasts the Salt Lake Valley, Provo, Ogden. I mean, there's 30 inches of snow in downtown Salt Lake. Several hundred thousand people without power. I remember it's all I can do to get to the foothills to go skiing. You know, the foothills above Wasatch. And I mean, it is just complete mayhem. Just to go a mile or two, it's taking you like 45 minutes. Everything is a mess. So that's the setup. And yeah, indeed, resorts, it's all they can do to stay open because the weather is so off the hook. Winds are blasting 60 to 80 miles an hour, gusting near 100. It's snowing two, three inches an hour. And we're getting thunder snow. Right. So we're getting lightning and thunder. It's crazy. There's power outages. Several resorts decide. I mean, it's just like it's impossible to run. So there's three groups that had been riding at Sundance inside the ski resort boundary. You know, fair enough. The resort closes down and uh, these three individual groups counting over a dozen people. They don't even know each other. They ride up the road and they're at the Aspen Grove Trailhead, which is underneath one of the largest avalanche paths in Utah that funnels off Mount Timpanogos. And, you know, it's storming to beat the band and they run into other groups that are out playing in the run out of this giant avalanche path. You can't see up above you. Of course, you're going to go hike for the freshies, right? And no one's wearing avalanche transceivers, shovels, probes, none of the the appropriate rescue gear. And as three separate groups are hiking up, one natural avalanche peels off from about 3,000 plus vertical feet above off the ridge. In the clouds, really. In the clouds, yeah. Because, Tom, it is it is storming so hard, you can hardly see like out in front of your hand. So everything is just, is, is just chaos as one slide then sympathetically triggers two others. And now instead of having just one football field, you have several football fields of snow crashing down from up above at any given time. There are multiple people who are caught, buried, spit back out. The next wave of snow comes. It buries those people, spits more out. And then finally, as the third slide slams into the crew um, below, the dust settles and three young men are missing. And they had no gear. So there's no gear. There's an avalanche warning. There's high danger. And it's like, so now what happens? And there is a, a young man who's out snowshoeing with his young family, couple of, you know, just barely kind of walking around on the snow, not realizing what's up above them. Frantic calls to 911, search ensues, multiple agencies. And, you know, at the end of the day, it is just a remarkable, tragic event. Were you on that 
uh, rescue? I was not on the rescue. I went down several days later um, after the dust had settled, after actually at the time the director of the Utah Avalanche Center, Bruce Tremper, went down the next day to investigate it. And everybody else sort of had their hands full everywhere else. So, you know, we're trying to manage that and, and you know, manage the media side of things and kind of warn people, hey, this is what's going on. It is very dangerous out there. So we really had to pool our resources. And, you know, at that time, Tom, UAC is a staff of about five or six people, you know, so, I mean, we're, we're lean and mean, you know, and we figured, no, you know, Bruce goes down there, he does the investigation, we'll, we'll hang tight and, and continue to get the message out. Yeah, quite a tragedy. We're going to take a quick show break. Sure. And I know there was an outcome of this that's really important to you yeah. in terms of the education brought. And we'll come to that right after the break. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Craig Gordon here on Last Chair. When I head up in the mountain here in Utah, I'm always packing my Hestra leather mittens. They're just wonderful. Hestra knows hands. And for over 85 years, Hestra has been producing the highest quality, warmest gloves that you can own. Crafted with durable, form-fitting leathers, Hestra gloves are made with the end user in mind. Don't let cold hands end a great day of skiing or riding early. With hundreds of different options, you'll find a Hestra glove that fits your needs. Check out Hestra gloves at hestragloves.com or at your local ski shop wherever Hestra gloves are sold. Remember, I love the mittens. Hester Gloves, taking care of your hands since 1936. We're back on Last Chair with Craig Gordon from the Utah Avalanche Center. And it's quite an emotional experience 20 years ago with the tragic death of three young men in the canyon right below Mount Timpanogos, right above Aspen Grove. As you guys thought about it and got together and did debriefs on this. What was your take in terms of why they were there? What can we do? How can we increase the education? What was going on in the minds of you who are professional avalanche safety experts and forecasters in terms of what you could do to help prevent this in the future? Yeah, well, you know, it was so glaringly apparent how dangerous the conditions were. And again, just, just trying to move around in the valley. It's like, it's all I can do to get to the mountains. So I'm, I'm going to the mountains on its terms and it doesn't even want me there. You know, so this is not, you know, kind of a soft, fuzzy kind of place to be right now. It's very harsh. It's very wicked. And as we started to get debriefed as, as a staff after the December 26th accident, that night, I looked my wife in the eye and I said, I am going to do everything in my power that not another family, not another partner, not another parent has to experience the tragedy of what could be a preventable avalanche accident. And, you know, and she's like, well, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I am going to create a program where we go talk to kids in schools and middle schools and high schools. And she's like, Craig, do you have any idea how big this project is? I said, yes, it's going to be colossal. And I'm just the guy to do it. Well, you are. <laughs> Thanks, man. And, and, you know, 
a few days later, we did do a debrief with Bruce, and it was heavy, and it was powerful. And I brought up the point of, well, I, hey, Bruce, you know, I mean, I'm only three, four years into, into my Avalanche Center career. What about, has any thought ever gone into just like going into middle schools and high schools? And Bruce says, well, nobody wants to hear some dry, boring person talk about avalanche. I said, dry and boring, man. No, no, I'm talking rock and roll. You know, let's have a dynamic program with a video. And, and he says, you know what? You put it together, you find the money, and it's yours. And I thought, man, you just challenged a, a, a go-getter overachiever who grew up in New Jersey, man. <laughs> this is, I got this. And, you know, Tom, at the time, nothing like this existed. There was nothing that was, that was fun and that had energy to it and that could resonate with teens, you know? And, and Bruce was absolutely right. It was sort of dry and it was sciencey and it was boring and it was very uncool. And I said, well, let's turn this around. Let's make it super cool to be knowledgeable about uh, snow and be knowledgeable about avalanches. And let's address the guy in the back of the room who is just like me, who would get bored with anything. And let's make it dynamic and let's make it fun. And as I started crafting this, the first thing that we had to do was, well, we had to put a video together. You needed a hook. And Tom, you go back 20 years ago, and there are no iPhones, and there are no GoPros, and the amount of video footage, avalanche-related video footage, is, is very rare. So fortunately, I made a great connection with TGR, and Teton Gravity Research actually had some great footage. They believed in the project. Backcountry.com came on board, and all of a sudden, man, we're a powerhouse. And we've got the state of Utah to back this, a division of natural resources and state parks who believed in avalanche education. Fred Hayes, who headed up that division at that time, knew that avalanche education helped to save lives. And so, you know, Tom, we had a lot of people who believed in the program. We put the video together. We had a PowerPoint that went along with it. And man, we were ready to hit the ground running. And so, this is the first time that multimedia presentations went to schools. And, you know, just to be able to sell it was, was really quite a Herculean feat. But I found an assistant principal at American Fork Middle School, and he knew some of the young men who had passed away. And he knew the hurt, and he knew the feeling, and he said, nope. We got to get this into our schools. He helped me to shepherd this into schools. And Tom, one of our very first talks was in front of 1,600 kids. And it was remarkable, man. It, you know, it wasn't like some soft rollout. It was like you hit the ground running with uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards and the Rolling Stones. And here we go, you know. And man, for that kind of crowd, you had to touch, have a touch point with everybody in the audience. And that meant giving out a 
thousand times the energy that was coming back. And really, that was the secret of that of the success of the program. So in our first year, I thought, man, if we could reach 5,000 kids, that would be remarkable. And the first year, the thing took off like a rocket. We talked to 12,000 kids. And the second year, we talked to 18,000 kids. And the start of the third year, we were able to get Know Before You Go embedded as an elective in health and phys ed in middle schools. And then everybody started coming on board. The Park City Schools were awesome to get us embedded early on. The Snowbelt Community Schools knew that this was very important. And anyone who did anything related to the snow, and that includes our great partners, the resorts um, statewide, who realized that the more avvy savvy everybody was, the less drain this would be on resources. Um, people would really get to understand at a basic level this medium of snow and avalanches. So this wasn't something that was super technical or or sciency. It was fun. It was simple. Uh, there were a lot of metaphors. It was stuff that everybody could use. Like I said in the beginning of our conversation, skiers, boarders, hunters, hikers, no matter what you're doing on the snow, you got to have avalanche education under your belt. Craig, the title is, or the name of the program, Know Before You Go, is really yeah. pretty straightforward. Is there any story behind, behind how you came up with that? It, you know, I, I think between Bruce and I, it was just like one of those epiphanies. And it was like, you know, what are we going to call this thing? And it was before, truly, before anybody sort of hijacked or pirated it, we kind of cornered the market. You know, looking back on it, we probably should have had it patented and trademarked. But it, it's curious now that so many entities latch on to know before you go. But the beauty of it is kind of that metaphorical feature that know before you go. And it's a hook and it pulls you in. And not only were we very aware of that here in this state, but as the program started to expand nationally and kind of realized that that was the hook as well, the, the next likely place that it could go would be globally. And I had a good friend of mine from Snowbird who would spend her winters up here and then go to Chile and spend the winters in Chile. And she realized that, you know, avalanche education was non-existent in Argentina, in Chile, down south. And really, she was the first one who helped me get the early rendition of Know Before You Go into another language, into another country. And so, Tom, not only is this a locally made, locally played program that's been seen by over 300,000 Utahns, it's a national program, it's a global program in 40 countries and now translated into 11 languages. <laughs> so it has just been a remarkable, remarkable success from simplicity comes success. And I know in my heart of hearts that this program has saved lives. Craig, as you look back, I'd love to get your reflections. It's been 20 years now since this incident and yeah. since you're, you and the team at UAC came up with Know Before You Go. As you look back on that, how does it make you feel that you've been able to bring this education? Do you see a difference out in the public today from where it was 20 years ago? Oh, yeah. 20 years ago, Tom, our best foot forward, our best efforts 
we were reaching such a small piece of our community, such a small piece of the pie. And what Know Before You Go did was it distilled a very complex medium and it repackaged it into something that was fun, that was learnable, that got people stoked. And that's that was really the big success. So yes, you know, it was at a time when just sort of everything came together. And it was a time that technology was changing, that awareness was changing. And the timing of all of that, plus the simplicity in the messaging, really led to the great success of this program. Let's talk about that messaging and not to go into a full avalanche safety course here, but there are some really simple principles like get the forecast, get the gear, get the education. Yeah, what are yeah, the real yeah, principles yeah, to know yeah, before really. you go? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're, you're, you're getting the forecast. You're figuring out where you're going to go. But before that, you know, you're getting the gear, avalanche transceivers, be, uh, shovels, probes, maybe avalanche airbags. You're not only figuring out where you're going, you've got the gear, you're getting the education. You've got to have basic avalanche education under your belt. It's just the rules of the road. And that basic start from there, you're you're looking around, you're looking for clues to unstable snow. You're getting out of the way at the bottom of the slope. These simple things, Tom, if we we don't have to be snow scientists. I mean, I've been in and out of snow for, you know, 37 years. And I mean, I'm no snow scientist. I, I play one on TV, of course, but but in real life, you know, I just do this because I, I, I love what I do. I live what I love. I get to give back to my community, which is the, the biggest honor of, of my entire life or maybe even several lives. And so really the success for, for all of our avalanche education is the simplicity because Sometimes just the simple approach of having somebody pump the brakes and maybe double checking on the forecast of being in tune, that's going to help save lives. By the way, if you want to check it out, it's at kbyg.org. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, kbyg.org. Yes. Great. And we'll put that in the show notes so so people can just click through. Yeah. I, I want to close out, before we get to our fresh track section, just close it out a little bit and talk about evolution that you've seen in avalanche safety. And I'd like to focus a little bit more inside the resorts. You mentioned sure. earlier the, the amazing work that the patrol does to keep us safe. But what are some of the advancements or evolutionary trends that you've seen in the last few years to help keep us safe? inside the resorts. Oh, it's remarkable what technology has done. And you think back in the early 50s, like when Monty Outwater discovered that you could use explosives to, to knock avalanches down. That's fun stuff. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. You know, to take that 10th Mountain Division mindset and mantra and say, hey, you know what? This is what they're doing in Europe. And this is what happened during World War II well, why don't we maybe tug one of those 75 millimeter howitzers up the canyon and give it a test drive? <laughs> you know, I mean, what a crazy time, you know, like that would not happen tomorrow. You know, I mean, obviously everything is is very well regulated and very well standardized. But to go from from that to what the hardworking women and men of the ski patrol do every day and the evolution of avalanche reduction and avalanche mitigation work to go from those early days of a pack howitzer 
to the fixed guns that were present in, in several of our ski resorts, and especially to do the highway mitigation above the roads to make sure that the, the mountain corridors are safe. To go from that to now what we're seeing with, and remember somewhere in between, our hand tra- charge routes. So that's going on, you know, well into the day on a big day when uh, ski patrol is trying to get some of their perimeter terrain or even their core terrain open during the day. But to go from kind of that, that blue collar stuff to this evolution now, remote avalanche control systems where these systems are in place year round and they're on towers and many of those are, are expanding so that we can do away with the military artillery. And these types of programs can go on 24-7. So that helps to protect cat crews at night. That helps to protect mountain personnel. And again, that helps to protect the hardworking women and men of the ski patrol before they're even getting out into the exposed terrain. And you know, you got to think long before we even roll into the parking lot, I mean, the wake-up call is coming at, oh, dark 30, and everybody is hustling and everybody is jamming. And a, a year like last year, I mean, it might be a blast for a recreationist to be like, woohoo, you know, it's over the head, it's in your face, it's amazing powder. But remember, every time it snows or the wind blows or there's temperature fluctuations, there is a hardworking crew that's busting their butt before we even roll in. And I'll tell you, Tom, it, it is, it's not just the ski patrol on a big year like last year. You realize the, the chinks in the armor and the chinks in the Teflon of the infrastructure where everybody is hustling. And it's from the lift crew to the cat crew and ski patrol to the people who are flipping the burgers. Everybody is busting their butts to get the resorts open, to get the roadways open, the plow drivers. I mean, there's a lot going on to keep this place open. You know, I just speaking to the plow drivers, I think skiers often don't think about what the Utah Department of Transportation has to do, because especially in, in the Cottonwood Canyons. Yes. That's remarkable. It is unreal. So, yeah, not only do you have the avalanche work going on, then you've got the people that come in and clean up after the avalanche work is going on. And you figure, man, you see that big orange rig rolling down uh, the canyon. And, and I mean, we take all of this for granted that someone has got this delicate touch with the levers and the steering wheel and the timing. And I know as a uh, heavy equipment operator that I was in a former lifetime, you know, they make it look like this beautiful ballet. And uh, it takes a lot to make all of this happen and weave in and out of cars. So, you know, next time you see anybody that is making it all happen for us and making it all come together, a high five, an air hug, just a, hey, thanks for all the hard work goes a really long way. It, it sure does. Uh, Craig Gordon, thank you so much. We're going to close it out yeah. with a little bit of fresh tracks, as I call it, some quick lightning round Q&A and to kick it off. What's your favorite in-resort line in Utah? Oh, man. Well, I would say my, my favorite's got to be back at my home mountain, which is Brighton, and the Millie side is always my favorite. So the upper Millie Bowl, when that's open, 
that is always uh, a great place to go powder skiing. So I'm going to say that during a powder. You know, right after a powder day, first sunny day with a foot of new snow. Yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. Love it. How about outside of the resorts? Man, I've got a I've got a lot outside of the resorts. I've got a number of lines that I really love in the Western Uintas from maybe the off the north peak of Moffat Peak down into the the Moffat Basin and Aprons on the north slope. But if I was to come a little bit closer to home, a fun one to stitch together is Mount Wolverine down into Stupid Chute, the Millie Back Bowl down to Twin Lakes Pass. That is a, or down to the Twin Lakes. That is a very sweet run. In Little Cottonwood Canyon, nothing beats the upper white pine, red pine, maybird zone. So to really pin it on on one day, one place, one condition, eh, you know, it's sort of like a snowflake. <laughs> and, and there's hundreds of different ones. And you've been on all of them. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hopefully continue in that spirit moving forward. You know, I love Moffat Peak, but I go there in the summertime with our Jeep. It's oh, a lot easier. Right. That's a great. I, I'm looking at that this summer, actually, and thinking this is really a great place to ski. Amazing. Man, it's not easy to get to. No, no, no. It's it, it takes an effort to go, but you know things that that take a lot of commitment all, often have an amazing reward. Greg, when you've had a long day working up in the snow and you're heading back down to the valley, uh, do you have a favorite opera spot, or do you just want to get home? You know, I want to get home, but oftentimes I swing by and see my friends at Alpha Coffee and see Carl and Lori Churchill. And they're big supporters of Utah Abbey. And so I like to go in there. I, I would prefer to start my morning there with, with a Craig Gordon signature coffee. That That's a quadzilla. You know, so you get the quad shot of coffee and then you go out to your truck, you dip into the Folgers instant coffee, maybe throw a, a tablespoon of Folgers instant into that. And and you're running up the mountains, Tom. <laughs> so for, for those who might not know the location, it is location, location, location. Indeed. Where is it? Yeah, yeah. Right at the mouth of Big Cottonwood Canyon and, and several other valley locations, but but that that's the money right there. You know, every time I go through there, I look at the 7-Eleven gas station, I look at Alpha Coffee and say, those are two really thriving businesses. Right yeah, there. they kind of got that one dialed in for sure. Yeah. Favorite thing to do outside of skiing? Well, my favorite thing to do, you know, Tom, after I bust my forecast out, I roll into my home gym. So I love weightlifting and I love fitness and I love endurance and it just sort of weaves into what I do every day. My day has started for the past couple of decades when I get up without an alarm a few minutes after two in the morning. And truthfully, I have woken up without an alarm, although I do have a backup. But but Tom, I'm so excited to go to work every day. And in that regard, I mean, it's insane. I feel remarkably blessed to uh, be able to do what I do. If you were to buy a friend a bottle of High West as a gift, what would you buy them? What would I buy them? Let me think this one over. Campfire, maybe? Campfire, most definitely. So I think my if favorite. I were to, I, I think my whiskey, for a friend, of course, would be much like a campfire. Yeah, let's roll That's with That's why that. I love it, too. <laughs> Last one. This is always hard. One word, just one word. What does Utah skiing mean to Craig Gordon? Oh, Utah skiing to me means soul. Soul, that is a new one. 
It's all about soul. Yeah. It certainly is. Craig Gordon, it's been a joy to have you here, and we appreciate all you and your colleagues do at Utah Avalanche Center to keep us safe. Thanks for joining us on Last Chair. Tom, it is my absolute honor, and know, you know this from your heart to my heart to everybody out there. I'm never too busy to talk about snow, to share the avalanche gospel, or just to share Daily Stoke. So hit me up on the uptrack, on the uh, parking lot, at a summer concert, in the grocery store, or on the lift. I love talking about this stuff. It's been a real honor to be here with you. Great to have you. And by the way, folks, listeners, if you have a kid in middle school and you want Craig or somebody to come out and talk to him, give him a holler. Thanks, Hit Craig. me up. Always available. Thanks, Tom. Really big thanks to Craig Gordon for taking a day off snow. And that's a big deal for Craig to join us in the Last Chair studio in Salt Lake City. I love Craig because he's an entertainer who educates. And we're all a lot safer because of Avalanche safety pros like Craig Gordon and the entire team at Utah Avalanche Center. Check out the forecast at utahavalanchecenter.org or download the app to always stay in touch. It was interesting to hear the history of Know Before You Go. And even if you spend all of your slope time inbounds, having basic knowledge of avalanche safety is vital. Do me a favor right now, not later, just click on over to kbyg.org download the materials, or scroll through some of the education and take the time to learn. Learn how to get the training, get the gear, get the forecast, and to stay out of danger. The Ski Utah Last Chair podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery. Follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at Drink High West. And remember, sip responsibly. High West Whiskey, 46% alcohol by volume. High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. And thanks again to our episode sponsor, Hestra Gloves. Learn more at hestragloves.com. I love my Hestra mittens. If you like the podcast, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. And make sure to subscribe to get every episode delivered directly to you. Check out the archives and your favorite podcast platform. Episode 4 featured one of my favorite resorts leaders, James Coleman. And before that, we checked in with Woodward's global leader, Chris Gunny Gunnarsson, a legend in action sports circles. To close this out, as usual, let's welcome back our friends Pixie and the Partygrass Boys. Watch for them on tour and stay tuned for some new music coming out this winter. I'm Tom Kelly for Last Chair, presented by High West. Have fun, be safe. It is a great day to ski. Oh!